Today on Blue 58, Packers training camp is officially underway and there is no shortage of storylines to track, but the biggest one, of course, is Aaron Rodgers. He shared everything that was on his mind and then some when he arrived to Packers camp. So what should we make of it? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. You may notice this episode is out a little bit later. I am sorry about that. There's been some circumstances outside my control that have affected recording recently, but still coming out on Friday. Uh, we're just recording on Friday morning. Uh, as a result, we're going to bump the Blue 58 book club back for another episode. We will get back into that next week. Another reason for that is we just have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers today, what he said uh, as he arrived at training camp. We're going to talk about his restructure, the details of which are now public. We're going to talk about Devontae Adams and what he is saying about his future in Green Bay and what it's going to take to stick around. We're going to talk about Randall Cobb arriving in Green Bay, Dennis Kelly, and then a refresher on somebody turning heads in training camp so far in the form of Juwan Winfrey. So Aaron Rodgers. I was completely wrong about Aaron Rodgers. I said all along that he was going to show up to training camp and basically kind of sweep it all under the rug. You know, things were said, you know, I'd want to keep a lot of that internal, blah, blah, blah. And you could picture Aaron Rodgers saying that at kind of a, almost a nod and a wink standing at his locker, but that was not the case. I cannot recall a press conference, anything like this. I don't know if we're ever going to see anything like this again. I mean, who gets up there and just says exactly what they think? Who who does that? Somewhat tongue-in-cheek there, but coming from Aaron Rodgers, it's, it, is, it is kind of unusual to see something like that. The only press conference that I can remember that's anything like this happened back when Penn State was going through their whole transition out of Joe Paterno, which happened very quickly, very unexpectedly, uh, and they, they ended up having a press conference that was like, look, basically, we're moving on from Joe Paterno. Uh, this is all going downhill really fast, and we just got to move on. And just how wild it was to see that all unfolding, and then ESPN following everybody over to Joe Paterno's house and all of those sorts of things. This was the only thing that reminded me or that brought back memories or that I could compare to what Roger said. Just completely out of the blue, nothing really else like it. It's just kind of a singular event. He didn't equivocate, came out and said exactly what he thought, and again, honestly, pretty stunning. A few thoughts about what he said. And I don't want to get too specific on this. Uh, Some people have done that online. I don't blame anybody who wants to do this, but uh, a friend of mine compared this to the Zapruder film. Like, you can break it down frame by frame, parse every line, And try to find things in there that mean certain things. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, you never want to put it past Aaron Rodgers to make a statement that means two things at the same time. He is smart enough uh, to do that. But I want to go overall impressions here and not get too specific on what he said. Because I think if you're trying to parse individual sentences, that's the wrong way to go about it. You kind of got to go overall, the overall thrust of the message. Overall, I thought Aaron Rodgers seems very tired. He seemed worn out uh, by talking and thinking about this. And I think we can all relate to that a little bit. I've certainly had times in my life where, you know, things that have happened or, you know, decisions that you've made, you know, job-wise, career-wise, we're going to move here, stuff like that. It's 
something you need to talk about, but you're just sick of talking about it. You're just sick of people asking you about it, and you just want it to be over. In 2019, I was unemployed for about nine months after my position at a job was downsized. And the job search was exhausting. It was something I had to do, and it was the biggest, well, second biggest thing in my life because we also had a kid that summer. But it was the only thing people asked me about. And by the end, I was just like, I don't want to talk about this anymore, but people are concerned, and it's understandable why they're concerned because this is a big deal. But I just don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's some of the vibe that I got from Aaron Rodgers, just my reading. If you had a different vibe there, that that is totally understandable. Second thing I think we have to remember is that this is Aaron Rodgers' side of events. It doesn't mean his claims aren't legitimate, but most of them are never going to be addressed directly by anyone else. We're never going to get a point-by-point fact check from Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy or Ted Thompson, a rest in peace. So this is kind of the version that we have to go with. But I think whether it's true completely or not, we do have to remember that this is one person's interpretation of events. And if you are or ever have been an aggrieved employee, you know that if you can have a legitimate point, but if you spend enough time in that situation, suddenly every everything starts looking like evidence to support that point. So you're disgruntled at work over, say, you know, they, they didn't, well, just take Aaron Rodgers' example. They didn't redo your contract exactly how they wanted, or some people that you liked were moved to different roles or moved out of the organization entirely, suddenly every, everything starts looking like evidence of what a crappy workplace this is. They don't have the coffee I like anymore. The temperature is always set at 72. I like it at 70. You know, you start to add those things up. And I think there may be some of that at play here too. There are some legitimate points here that the Packers have on their side, but if you have your feelings hurt, suddenly everything starts looking like evidence of you know, malicious intent on the other side. To that point, there are legitimate questions about his presentation of events. The biggest one that I have is, did you speak up about this before or not? So Brian Gutekunst has maintained for years now, I think dating back to 2019, maybe even earlier, that Aaron Rodgers has always had the opportunity to voice his opinion on what he thinks should be done about certain players or free agents or whatnot, I want to know if Aaron Rodgers has actually spoken up before or not. Or, if he wanted certain guys retained, has he made that known? And I don't mean comments like saying that he thinks Jake Kumaro is a lock for the roster, because that is not a communication to the the front office that I would like you to keep this guy. That was just his opinion. He thought Jake Kumaro was a lock. I guess to the larger point there, If you want to be a GM, Aaron, I think you need stronger evidence for guys that you want decisions on than Jake Kumaro, just an aside there. But I think it's fair to ask, is this something, Aaron, that you've tried to do before and were rebuffed, or did you just not feel like you could, or did you just not? Because if you've been this upset about how guys are being transitioned out of the building, did you bring that up? with the general manager. I I think that's fair to ask. And what times did you do that and when and for whom? Why not for some guys and why not for other guys? Speaking of guys, 
he listed off 12 different players uh, that he thought the Packers should have either retained or transitioned out of Green Bay differently. And before we dive into that list, I think it's worth pointing out that there are a few names that did not end up on that list. And I think it's fair to ask why. Corey Lindsley did not come up on that list. Mike Daniels did not come up on that list. Two big examples. Good players who went on to be successful elsewhere. I guess we don't really know for sure in in Corey Lindsley's situation, but they went on to play elsewhere. And Rodgers just, you know, didn't say anything about him. You could argue guys like Ryan Grant or James Starks should probably be on that list too. Uh, Starks had an especially ignominious end to his time in Green Bay, was uh, was in a car accident, had a concussion, never played again, and the Packers just kind of kind of dumped him. Bob McGinn, I remember, uh, took the Packers to task over that, but he didn't get a mention from, uh, from Aaron Rodgers. Ryan Grant, kind of a similar situation. Uh, some injuries down the stretch in his career, and the Packers just kind of said, thanks, see you later, and they did end up bringing him back later. But um, they did not merit a mention from Aaron Rodgers, and he only knows why. Certainly, they weren't to the level of some guys like Charles Woodson or Julius Peppers, but when Brett Goode and John Kuhn are getting mentions, it's fair to ask why other guys aren't. But let's talk about those guys. The whole list is Charles Woodson, Julius Peppers, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, Brian Bulaga, TJ Lang, John Kuhn, Brett Goode, and Jordy Nelson. Does he have a point about any of those guys? I think a few that he does. There were four guys, at least, that were legitimately good after they left Green Bay. Charles Woodson played three seasons outside of Green Bay, played all 48 games in those seasons, had 10 picks, 20 passes defensed, and three sacks. He was good. That was a miss by the Packers. And if I'd have had a podcast back then, I'd have said so. Did have Packer perspective. Shout out to the longtime fans. But uh, that was a miss by the Packers, and they should have kept him around. I think same goes for Julius Peppers. He played two seasons after he was in Green Bay. 32 games, 15 sacks. He was an effective player. He wanted to stay in Green Bay. He didn't. Casey Hayward, another legitimate miss here too, but but I think you've got some points on the Packers' side. Uh, He was frequently injured in Green Bay, and I think there was a case to be made for just saying, look, we don't know if you're ever going to be healthy. He's been healthy since. He's played five seasons and counting post-Green Bay. Only has missed two games in that stretch. Been a pro bowler twice, a second-team all-pro twice. You know the story. We don't have to rehash Casey Hayward. Micah Hyde, similar thing. Another legitimate miss here. Four seasons and counting post-Packers. One pro bowl, one second-team all-pro. He's been effective for Buffalo, and quite so. A few of these guys have just been okay, though. Clay Matthews, out of Green Bay after 2018. Out of football last year, no real suitors this year, it seems. But in his one season with the Rams, he had eight sacks. He was pretty good, but just pretty good. And the Packers put, I think, a good portion of what would have been his salary towards signing guys like Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Billy Turner, and Adrian Amos. Now, I think I would have at least three of those four guys over an aging Clay Matthews, but I think there is a point to be made about how they handled their exit. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Randall Cobb, I think, also finds and falls into that just pretty good category. He wasn't a world beater post-Green Bay. With Dallas and Houston, he was still pretty solid, but just pretty good. We just recapped him last time around, so we don't have to go deep there. 
James Jones, I think I'm being pretty generous here because he was good when he returned, but in one season away from the Packers, he averaged just 9.1 yards per catch on 73 catches. Just just pretty good. And of course, he was he was good when he came back to the Packers for 2015, but he was done after that. He he looked pretty cooked, and that was coming out of a receiving group with no no real threats outside of Devontae Adams, who had a rough season in 2015, and Jordy Nelson off an ACL, and uh, and Randall Cobb. The Packers decided, now we're good after seeing what he could do in 2015. And, you know, again, maybe they could have handled the exit a little bit differently, but I think it's fair to move on. Then there's guys that I think either have been hurt after Green Bay or were obviously done when they left the Packers. Brian Bulaga is first on this list. There were injury concerns when he was in Green Bay. He was injured his first season with the Chargers. Just played 10 games last year. That is the deal with Brian Bulaga. You can't really fault the Packers for moving on there. TJ Lang, kind of same deal. 19 games over two seasons away from the Packers. John Kuhn, 18 games over two seasons. Brett Goode had an injury settlement with the Packers, then came back, then retired. I don't know what Aaron Rodgers' point is there. Then there's Jordy Nelson. And I'm talking about him last because I want to tie him into what we talk about next. But Jordy Nelson, I think, was pretty clearly done after he left the Packers. His legs looked dead his last season in Green Bay. And it just, it was time to move on. Could he have been more effective in Green Bay? Well, let's talk about that. Because I think Aaron Rodgers has two points that, are relevant to this entire list. He said a lot of these guys would have been better had they stayed in Green Bay. That may be true, and I think in some of these circumstances that is true. For instance, Jordy Nelson probably would have been more effective in 2018 had he stuck around with the Packers. Brett Goode, you don't know for sure. John Kuhn probably would have found more use in Green Bay had he stayed. Same with Randall Cobb. Uh, Same with James Jones. It's true that some of these guys would have been better in Green Bay. But that is also not necessarily a good reason to keep someone. That was the same reason that they kept Geronimo Allison for so long. And it's something we talked about on this podcast. Sure, he's not that great. But because of what he knows about your system and how he's integrated into your offense and things like that, it makes more sense to keep him because he's cheap. Well, these other guys weren't cheap. A lot of them. Sure, they may have restructured their deal or taken smaller deals or or things like that, but just that they would have been slightly better in Green Bay than they were when they went elsewhere and weren't as good, I don't think that's as strong a point as, as Aaron Rodgers thinks it is. If you're saying, instead, I would have just preferred to have guys that I'm familiar with around, okay, but that's something entirely different. His other point, though, was that their exits weren't handled well, and I think that is fair. But to the Packers' point, it's probably never going to be unicorns and rainbows at the end, but still, it could be better. The Baltimore Ravens are pretty famous for how they handle things with departing free agents. They are known to sit people down and say, look, we want to keep you. We like you a lot. Here's what we can pay you. If you can beat that number, go, do it, and we're going to wish you well because we want you to have as much personal success as you can. Again, we want to keep you around. Here's what we can pay you. Um, if you can beat that, that would be that'd be wonderful for you, and we're going to be happy for you wherever you end up. A couple conversations like that in Green Bay might have gone a long way towards changing some of the situation, and that's probably something the Packers should be better about. 
too many of these guys on their on this list have have left without ever getting an offer from the Packers. Micah Hyde famously was waiting for an offer, wanted to come back. Corey Lindsay, a similar situation. He said he he wanted to come back to the Packers, uh, but but never never heard anything from the Packers. And there's there's other names on this list that kind of fall into that category as well. That's all I really have about Rodgers. Um, and I'm sure more things will come up and more, you know, fact checks will come out. And we'll talk about those if and when they come up. But kudos to Rodgers for saying what he thought. Doesn't mean he's right about everything. Doesn't mean you have to agree with him about everything. But uh, big props to him for, for going out and saying it. We have since gotten details about Aaron Rodgers' contract restructure. I'm just going to quick run through a thread by Tom Pelissero uh, on Twitter of NFL Network because he has all of the details. Um, check it out. It's it's easy to find. You know how the internet works. Uh, but in the meantime, the, the relevant details are that Rodgers' contract for 2023 voids seven days prior to the start of the 2023 league year. That is relevant because that is before the time at which the franchise tag could be applied. So if Rodgers plays 2021 and plays 2022 without an extension from the Packers, he will become a free agent and the Packers can't do anything about it. That is, I think, some assurances for Rodgers there that uh, that the Packers, you know, if, if they try to keep him for 2022, try to really walk this out, he can just leave after the season He'll be here, but he can just leave and do whatever he wants, and the Packers will get nothing. I think that's some incentive on both sides to really figure out what they want to do after this season. The signing bonus has also been restructured in such a way that the Packers can get about $10 million in cap room this year. I think it's time to go shopping, see what else is out there. If we're going to go all in, if the the Packers are going to really run up the cap charges for next year, you might as well go and see what else is out there. Geno Atkins, go on short, continue to linebacker shop, whatever. See if there's anybody else that Aaron Rodgers wants. Hey, Jordy Nelson, what are you up to? I think I'm mostly kidding there, but who knows? Uh, but if if you got the money, you might as well see what else you can fit under the cap. If Aaron Rodgers is traded or released prior to June 1st of next year, the Packers will incur an almost $27 million cap hit. That sounds bad, but considering that Aaron Rodgers' cap number for next year is about $46 million, that's still almost $20 million in savings. So I think there is um, some incentive on both sides to really figure out what they want to do about that next spring. Most people seem to be taking this as a sign with this contract structure the way it is that Aaron Rodgers definitely won't be here in 2022. I'm a soft maybe on that because anything can be fixed. I, I don't know... And I know there are people who are hardcore capologists out there that just say that cap hell is coming. And maybe they're right. But I think we've seen over the last few months that people can get out of just about anything that they want to as far as the cap goes. You can figure this stuff out. And if Rogers, you know, plays out this season, plays well, Everything's hunky-dory. The relationship between himself and Brian Gutekunst goes from professional to, hey, maybe we're going to be friends outside of work. Um, You never know. A contract extension would lower that cap hit a lot, and the Packers could use all of the cap space that they can find. And if that comes via another contract extension for Rodgers, hey, 
So much the better for everybody. What about Devontae Adams, though? Uh, Adams also spoke the first day of camp, and he was not at all unclear about what he wants. He wants to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL. That is fair. And there's a weird sticking point because nobody can really agree on what that means. Devontae Adams will say, well, DeAndre Hopkins is the highest paid receiver in the NFL, so I want to beat that, and if you want to keep me, you should beat that. That is a fair thing for him to want, and uh, if he can find somebody who will pay him that much, he absolutely should. But on the other side of the table, Brian Gutekunst will say, hold on a second, they really messed up with DeAndre Hopkins' deal, and they overshot the market in a huge way, and this contract is bananas anyway, so I don't know if we should do that, and I don't know if anybody should do that. And they've got to meet somewhere in the middle. So let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins' contract for a second. It's really pretty fake. Devontae Adams will point to the average per year value of the deal of 27.25. That is the highest for any receiver by about $5 million. And it's high for a couple of reasons. Both that have to do with just weird structure in this deal. He has a roster bonus, Hopkins does, that is due prior to the 2022 season that he's probably not going to see. It's worth $10.6 million. That is enormous. And I would bet the Cardinals are going to want to say, well, let's let either restructure your deal or move on from you because, um, well, that is just a lot of money to pay for a receiver heading into his 30s when we've already paid you a lot of money up front. He also has a $9 million option bonus that went into effect this year, but isn't going to count on their books until 2024. That's according to overthecap.com. I don't really know how that works because I've never really seen anything like that from any NFL contract. It's really, really weird. Of course, none of that matters to Devontae Adams or the people who represent Devontae Adams, which is fair because... The fact that DeAndre Hopkins has a really weird contract is not really his problem. He can just point to that and say, beat that number. But Brian Gutekunst has to figure out a way to say, well, okay, his his average salary per year is $27.25 million, but that's because at least almost $20 million of this money is completely fake, and he's probably never going to see it. Do you want a bunch of fake money in your contract, or or what? Do you want us to sign you to a... a deal with a bunch of, you know, fake bonuses in it. So we've got to cut you two years from now. Is that what you want? Just so you can say you're the highest paid receiver or what? So what's Brian Gutekunst to, to say to, to this? If I'm him, I'm saying, well, I can't really beat that number. You can definitely, you definitely deserve to be the highest paid receiver in the league, but I'm not going to try to beat a contract that was written in crayon. Like this doesn't make sense we got to figure out some way to really talk about what you should be paid without just looking at contracts that are written by crazy people. I think there's also an aspect at play here where you have to ask, do you really want a guy to become the top paid wide receiver in the league heading into his age 30 season? I think Devontae Adams is going to have um, a game that ages pretty well. He's all positioning and releases off the line and things like that. But that is a lot of money for a guy who's going to be on the wrong side of 30 for the entirety of this contract. Outside of a few games 
at the start of the first year of the deal, it's going to be all on the wrong side of 30. And look, guys are playing better into their 30s than ever before. That's fair. But it has to give you a little bit of pause. Elsewhere in the receiver world, quick thing on Randall Cobb here. We've gotten the figures on the trade. It looks pretty reasonable. Houston is going to get a six-round pick from the Packers. Houston is going to give the Packers, Randall Cobb, obviously, but also $3 million uh, towards Cobb's salary this year. They're taking on that cost. I'm not entirely sure how it shakes out cap-wise this year, and it doesn't really matter as long as he fits under the cap, which he does. The point is that two people are, are really happy about this. Aaron Rodgers is happy to have Randall Cobb in Green Bay, and Randall Cobb seems to be really happy in Green Bay. It's good for me personally because I like to see people happy, and uh, a lot of this offseason in Green Bay has made me really uncomfortable because it's centered around people not being happy, and I want people to be happy. Um, but Cobb is happy to be here, there, I guess I should say, uh, and he's making Aaron Rodgers happy, so that's a big win-win for the Packers. And I think if he can be an effective player, so much the better on top of that. The Packers made another acquisition this week, bringing on board big old offensive lineman Dennis Kelly. And big is almost an understatement for Kelly. He's in the Jared Veldheer uh, range here. Six foot eight, 321 pounds, big old boy. He was a fifth-round pick for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2012, 153rd overall. And whenever you see a guy who is acquired by a different team in the draft, I always like to look at where he was relative to recent Packers draft picks. In the 2012 draft, the Packers had picks number 132 and 133. Those picks were Mike Daniels and Jerron McMillan, a win and a loss there for the Packers. But that has nothing to do with Dennis Kelly. The details on Kelly. He played 2012 through 2015 with the Eagles, then was traded to Tennessee. Played 2016 through 20 with the Titans. He started all 16 games for the Titans last year. That was the first time in his career he's been a full-time starter. Prior to that, the most year or most games he'd started in a season was 10 back in 2012, his rookie year for the Eagles. To me, he's looking like another Jared Veld here, a swing tackle that you won't start if you don't have to, but gives you good depth. You could also say that he's the offense's version of Devondre Campbell. Not spectacular, but he's solid, and he gives you a good option at a position of need. The Packers certainly have needs at offensive tackle. Apparently some guard background there for Kelly as well, uh, but really seems like a quality depth signing and one guy who's probably going to start here in the in the meantime for the Packers. The going thinking seems to be that he starts at right tackle and moves Billy Turner over to the left side. That's what the Packers did near the middle of last year when uh, David Bakhtiari was, was a bit banged up in the middle of the season. So your offensive line left to right would be uh, Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, Lucas Patrick, or John Runyon, probably Lucas Patrick at this point it seems, and then Dennis Kelly. If it was me, I might think about keeping Billy Turner at right guard, leaving Elton Jenkins at left tackle, and then letting Lucas Patrick and John Runyon sort it out at left guard. The Packers seem to have more issues on their interior line than at tackle between the three guys they have that look like they can play tackle. Why not put your better athlete in Jenkins at tackle and figure out how things go from there? I think I might at least try that, but uh, I think 
one thing that we've seen for sure out of the Packers so far is that they are willing to try some weird stuff on the offensive line, so maybe they try some weird stuff. Dennis Kelly, though, seems like a really solid pickup, especially at this point in the season. Uh, He has some familiarity with with Matt LaFleur dating back to 2018, so seems like a win here. Get some depth on the offensive line. Finally, we should talk about Jawan Winfrey for a second here. Other than the everything else that's going on in camp, the talk of camp so far seems to have been Juwan Winfrey. Let's do a quick refresher here on this former practice squad receiver for the Packers. Another big-bodied receiver, which you know Brian Gutekunst likes a lot, came out of Colorado, uh, six foot one, two hundred and ten pounds. Elsewhere is listed as big as six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds. So, uh, take your measurements with a grain of salt. The Broncos took him in the sixth round in twenty nineteen. Uh, He appeared in three games for them that year, but recorded no stats other than 14 snaps on offense and 49 on special teams. Keep those 49 snaps in the back of your mind here for a second. Uh, The Packers signed him to their practice squad last October. He was elevated to the active roster twice, played eight snaps on offense and 21 on special teams. He is not quite as athletic as Malik Taylor. He's a little bit more thickly built. And if the Packers are about their big-bodied receivers, that would put him into the conversation there, I think maybe slightly ahead of Taylor if he's getting reps with the ones already, and that appears to be the case. We have taken it like a given that, well, whether it's Taylor or Winfrey or whoever, guys that have an edge because of their special teams experience are going to get extra looks here in training camp. And that seems to be the case with Winfrey because he also has some serious special teams experience. He has played more snaps on special teams than on offense so far in his career, and that seems to be his ticket to the roster, but there may be something else here at play as well. I think the receiver room is awfully crowded right now. That's not even so much an opinion as just an obvious reading of what the Packers have at receiver right now, Uh, but it's going to be an absolute dogfight for those last few spots on the roster And if it comes down to just special teams, there may just be one spot left at receiver because I don't know if you can have that sixth guy be a guy like Devin Funches who only plays offense, doesn't really contribute on special teams. Going to be interesting here in training camp. And uh, now that Aaron Rodgers has had his say, now that Randall Cobb is in Green Bay, now that Brian Gutekunst has spoken about his version of events at least a little bit, we can turn to actual football going forward. And I'm excited to do that. I hope you are as well, because it got kind of tiring these last two months just talking about everything going on off the field. But uh, it's time to talk about stuff going on on the field. We're only a couple weeks away from a preseason game. It's going to be fun. Even if this is the last go-round for a lot of these guys in Green Bay, which is the case almost every year, it's still going to be a lot of fun to watch this team this year because the Packers should be pretty, pretty good. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and think someone else would enjoy it as well, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd go ahead and share it. That helps more people find the show. It helps more people get involved in this conversation we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn helps everybody, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.